My name is Margie Fawcett. I'm so glad to be with you this evening to teach from the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Well, the clergy are away, all of them. So it's the lay-led church tonight. And may the Lord come and bless us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you're here with us. Open your word to us as we open our hearts to you. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. When was the last time you heard a sermon from Chronicles? I don't know, it has to have been a while, right? So at least it'll be something you haven't heard in a while. I just love Second Chronicles chapter 20, just because of space we weren't able to um, publish the entire chapter. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of um, the teaching, the, the scripture, before I actually jump into the teaching. It is a fantastic chapter about how God saved Judah when they were surrounded by enemies. And there's a beautiful verse in the chapter that says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that verse, and the whole chapter, but that verse in particular has been pressed and stamped and worked into my soul over a period of years working through a very difficult situation. When my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer, two wonderful, older, mature women in the church took me to their table and laid their hands on me and prayed that I would keep my eyes on the Lord, even though I didn't know what to do. And they taught me 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And so it's with great joy that I bring to you God's word tonight. It changes us. going to start with a little story about a time when I was afraid. It was about, let's see, how long ago was it now? Seven years ago, and um, my husband had just been diagnosed with recurrent terminal cancer, and I decided to go camping. I thought, well, why not? Probably won't feel like camping later, so I may as well go now and just seize the day bring as much joy as I can to our lives and to my children. So I took my two little children, who were 18 months and four, camping, with a girlfriend of mine. And that already spells disaster, and that is basically what it was, disaster. Actually, we had a great time. My friend Sally set up her tent with her friends, her children, I mean, and I set up my tent for my little children. And we put them to bed. My son was even in a little pack-and-play in the tent. I put my kids to bed. She put her kids to bed. We came out, sat by the fire. We laughed. We prayed. We sang. We cried. We had the whole campfire experience. And then um, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. It was like, well, it's time to go to get in the tent now. So she crawled into her tent. I quick ran to the bathroom. And as I came back, from this very well-lit bathroom, all I could see was the light shining on the tent where my children were sleeping. Behind the tent, I saw the grasses like this waving, and then I heard I started dashing, zipping in and flying into the tent, looking around, my children are okay. I'm like, ah, ah, I, I just see, I hear, I'm seeing, what in the world is attacking us in Elgin, Illinois? 
I was terrified. I got my flashlight out. I've been looking behind the tent. I can't see anything. There's no more disturbance. So I just lay down. My friend Sally's like, are you okay? Is it okay? I'm like, I guess it's fine. I don't see anything. And I lay there in complete terror for I don't know how many hours, hour, the entire night. I did not sleep a wink. I was absolutely terrified. My heart was pounding. About 20 minutes after this growling episode, we could hear in the distance, how? It was like a pack, a whole pl- a flock, a whole whatever you call them, group celebrating the kill of what we assume now is a rabbit, because I heard since then that rabbits scream when they're killed. So I lay there, not knowing at the time what it was, except I was hearing howling, and every single little noise around the tent, I could hear little creatures walking around. I imagined every possible nightmare that could happen. I'm thinking, my little son, he's breathing. I think they're going to sense a vulnerable mammal and they're going to come and try to, to get this child. Like, what am I going to do? I realized really how unsafe a very tiny bit of nylon is. I mean, you put your trust in these tents and truly, they don't afford you much protection. Well, as I lay there in the night, many hours after drama, the Lord said to me, Margie, you have just witnessed the food chain in action. Those animals do not care anything about you or your children. Okay. They were not coming to attack me or my children. I could just go to sleep. So the Lord spoke my name and he told me that I would not have to face the bloody battle with carnivores that I had feared. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat and all of Judah faced a terrifying battle. In fact, they faced total destruction. What did the Lord say to them when they were terrified? And what might the Lord say to us about our own fears? Before we can dive into the passage tonight, which is printed in your bulletin, I need to catch you up a little bit on what has happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 before verse 13. We need to look at the events that caused the fear of the people of Judah and how they responded to them because each part of their journey prepared their heart to hear God's word. So um, Judah is just living their lives and one day a messenger comes and says, King Jehoshaphat, there's a vast army coming against you. And he is afraid. They've come to destroy him. Multiple kingdoms with deadly weapons intent on destruction are making their way toward Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat is afraid. But when he's afraid, he makes a choice. Instead of turning to idols or going in his own strength, which are the things he saw those around him choose, he chose to call a fast and to gather the people together to cry out to the Lord. And there they gather, they pour out their hearts, They praise the Lord, they ask him to be uh, faithful to his promises, and they say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
And it's at this place where we pick up with the text for tonight. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So they've fasted, they've gathered together, they've poured out their hearts, and now everyone stands. They just stood. This is a poignant moment for them because they're waiting for God to move. This isn't how we stand when we're waiting in line at Target, wondering how long this is going to take, how long the person in front of you is going to go, what the magazines are about, kind of checked out. This is a type of standing that's more like waiting for your entrance when you're singing in a wonderful choir. Your music is ready, you're listening to every bit of it unfold, you're watching, you're listening. You may even be standing on the balls of your feet. You take a deep breath and you're waiting for the conductor to bring you in. The waiting is full of anticipation. It's openness and readiness. It's much more comfortable for us to run around and try to fix things because then at least we feel like we're doing something. But when Judah was faced with a vast army, they could have strapped on their swords and mounted a military campaign, but instead they chose to seek God, to stand and say, we need you and we don't know what to do. And then God speaks. What does he say? He calls them by name. He says, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, O Judah and Jerusalem. When someone calls your name, it causes you to listen in a more intentional way. And when God calls your name, you know that you belong to him, that you are his. I had an experience where someone called my name and I knew that I belonged to him. And this happened in, in the process of dating my husband, John. We always called our dating Act 1, intermission, and then Act 2. Act 1 was kind of rough. It was characterized mostly by ambivalence and uncertainty. Getting a little closer, getting not so close, getting a little closer, freaking out, getting a little closer, freaking out, distance back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I just was said, I just can't do this anymore. And so we broke up for two years. And um, if John were here, he would claim that the Lord told him it would be two years, but I don't know, I have my doubts. You'll have to ask him when you see him in glory. <clears throat> um, so two years, this is after two years of waiting now, and I, my heart was so hard and close to him because I was so hurt. And in that two years, which is a whole different story, the Lord really began to open my heart to him. And um, so I got a call from him one night. And he said, Margie, um, I would just like to know, I've noticed that you've seemed a little more open to me lately. Um, like when I sat down next to you at the movie theater today, and I said, can I sit here? You didn't say, it's a free world. <laughs> you said, sure, I'd love it. So I'm calling you tonight to ask you if you would be open to dating me again. And I said, I was sitting there on the couch with my roommate, Renee. 
I was like, well, all I can say is, I'm open. And then I heard, Margie! Margie! Wah! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Oh, praise the Lord! Wah! Margie! And I'm holding the phone out like this, and Renee is just like, screaming my name over and over again. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! I can't believe it! Praise the Lord! And that really did scare me, actually. <laughs> I thought, now I've got the other problem. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> so far, that, so we've seen, um, so when, when John said my name, I knew I belonged to him, and I was listening. And when God says the name of the people of Judah, he knows that he has heard them, that he's right there, and that they belong to him. But fear itself wages a war against our openness to hear God speak. Causes our muscles to clench up. It's like being inside that tent in the dark night, cut off from other people, alone. You can't see. God feels distant. Real and imagined threats lurking just outside. Fear itself shuts down our ability to connect with God and to open our hearts. And then God speaks their name, Judah. He sees them. He speaks directly to them. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Four times he says that. So they've faithfully gathered They've fasted, they've cried out to the Lord, they've stood and they've waited. But let's be honest, they've got to be terrified. They face complete annihilation. And God says, do not be afraid. How is it possible not to be afraid? The next part of the Lord's response to Judah unlocks the possibility of facing an impossible circumstance without fear. What does the Lord say? He says, The battle is not yours. The battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Three times he says, The battle is not yours. The burden of fighting, of solving, of fixing the problem is lifted. Because often our response to fear is to step up our game, to work harder, try to fix it, to at least mentally obsess over it. But no amount of solving or fixing or working a little harder will remedy fear. The Lord says, do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. Take heart. God himself is working on your behalf. We saw in our church a few years ago a beautiful example of God working on behalf of a family. Uh, Scott and Sarah Roney wanted to adopt a little boy uh, that they named Judah. And um, Sarah was with the birth mother when Judah was born. And um, they brought Judah home. The, The birth mother had told them the name of the father. They had all of his medical records. And they were proceeding with an adoption, but at this point it was foster care until the paperwork could go through. 
And they brought Judah home and they had him for four or five or six months. And then they, were, um, they received word that the father was fighting to have his son. And we were all terrified. And we gathered, Brett and I and Sarah were all working on the uh, children's ministry team at the time. And we gathered and we fasted and we prayed and we cried out to the Lord. He had hired a lawyer and um, they hired lawyers and their lawyer said, you basically don't have a chance. I mean, he's the father and he will get the child back. So begin, you know, pack up his things and take him back to Texas. And um, the grief over the idea of returning this little baby to Texas was more than we could bear. And then one day they got the results of a blood test that said there was zero percent chance that this man was the baby's father. It was done. It was just over. Just like that. The battle was just gone. No more battle. There was not a thing that any of us could do except cry out to the Lord and see his work on their behalf. And now you can see Judah tearing all around the church and continue to pray for him and all of us on their behalf, all of them on their behalf. So when they're listening, they're waiting, God says, the battle is not yours. And then he says, I am here. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. They are not alone. Fear is so isolating, but the Lord wants his people to remain connected to him. I am here. Reminds me of a time when um, my husband John, who was very, very ill, had um, cancer in his bones. And at night, he would have pain. He wouldn't be able to sleep in different places. And so he would get up and go out into the living room and lie down on the floor and put his feet up on the couch and think of each of the places that were hurting him and ask the Lord to come and to be present to him. And he would wait until the Lord would say, I am here, or until he would describe physically feeling the presence of the Lord come into those places. I think that his greatest need, John's greatest need, was to know that God was with him. His greatest effort went toward searching for the Lord, seeking to find him in that pain, because that very difficulty was the thing that the enemy would use to say, see, no one cares. You're all by yourself. Your life is over. It's all, it's ruined. And the battle was to say, Lord, aren't you here? I know you're here. Show me that you're here. Day by day, he would show John that he was there. And it was instructing me. I mean, I have to say, I, I don't think I would have had that response in that kind of pain. And um, watching him transformed my soul, seeing him do that and seeing the Lord meet him time after time. So in great desperation, the people of Judah came and cried out to the Lord. They didn't know what to do. They waited. God said, do not be afraid. 
The battle is not yours. I am here. And then it says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. This is holy ground. And then the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, why is it that they're celebrating again? Because last time we checked, there was still like a deadly mob coming toward them with sharp objects. That has not changed. Nothing has changed. And yet everything has changed. Nothing on earth had changed, but in the heavenlies, victory had already been won. God came. God spoke. They met with God. They pressed into their fears. They cried out to him. And he came. It was him that they needed all along. It was the Lord. Now, living with some level of anxiety or fear is a reality for most of us. But the Lord wants us to be free from fear. I urge you to seek the Lord specifically around areas of fear in your life. You may not face hungry carnivores in the dead of night, but you undoubtedly face circumstances beyond your control. And these often create fear. Some of these fears I would categorize as sort of ordinary fears that we all face in moments or in seasons of our lives because our responsibilities change because of different circumstances in our lives. I have a friend who lost a very close family member um, to death and she said that the fear would catch up with her at night when she tried to go to sleep and lay down and that's when she couldn't breathe and her thoughts were stirring and the fear set in and the Lord taught her just to sing what time I am afraid I will trust in you to wait and to let the love of the Lord minister to her in that time but I'd like to speak to those of you also who have a more pervasive sense of fear perhaps for many years you would describe the salient quality of your heart as afraid worried or anxious if you notice that this kind of anxiety is affecting your daily life, I would urge you to get clinical help. I would also urge you to seek a prayer appointment with someone that can pray with you, that can help you connect with Jesus and to hear his word to you. Maybe work through some childhood losses or some unresolved traumas that may be fueling that kind of anxiety. And for both of those things, you can contact Deacon um, Valerie McIntyre. She has a list of clinicians in the area to whom we refer, and she also knows the people that are able to pray. I suggest that you do either of those that seem like uh, that would be the right thing for you. And my heart goes out to you, because I have struggled with anxiety, and at times seasons of acute anxiety. And I wish I could step into that tent with you and tell you everything's going to be okay and to weather the storm with you. But the truth is, it isn't my voice that you need to hear or the voice of any other human person. It's the voice of Jesus that you need to hear, saying, do not be afraid. I am here. 
He resides in the very center of your heart, and you belong to him. You can't see the future, but he can. While another person cannot speak or reside in the very center of your heart as Jesus does, walking through and out of this kind of fear requires the body of Christ. I urge you to take a risk and to speak your fears to a fellow Christian. Speak out your fears, your worries, and the way they affect your daily life. Give another Christian the privilege of seeing that holy ground, the place in your very deep heart. Even while we're gathered here tonight in the presence of the Lord, share your heart with another. And as an ongoing discipline in your life, I would suggest that you write out your fears in a journal and ask the Lord to speak to you about each one. With an open and vulnerable heart, listen to what his word will be. Find the scriptures about fear, write out those words, and then say, Lord, what is the word that you have for me? And allow his word to sink into your heart. Have someone pray the scriptures into your heart. Sometimes if you're very afraid, praying alone is not effective. It's just too hard. But someone else can pray for you, and they can ask that the God's word would be planted in your heart. Also, music is very helpful in times of anxiety and fear. Uh, you can find songs that are particularly ministered to you that have the scripture in them and listen to them again and again and let God's word um, sink into your heart. God can break into fears in an instant. He can pierce them with his truth and send them to flight. And when this happens, we rejoice at the marvelous victory. But for most of us, these snares of the heart are part of a longer healing and discipleship process. They require perseverance in prayer, moment by moment and day by day. Perseverance in humble confession perseverance in searching God's word and asking it to water your heart to its very roots. And in time, you will look back and realize that you have less fear and that the days are brighter and that the door to that tent is cracked open to the light of day. You'll also see the character that's been worked into your soul through suffering, that you have increased in faith at having seen God speak time after time. This passage transformed my life in such a difficult time, and my worst fears came true. My husband did die, and this word from God is still the same for me today. Do not be afraid. It's the same word. It's God here saying, I am with you. This battle is not yours. And he says that very same thing to you. Do not be afraid. The battle is not yours. I am here. <laughs>